0: Welcome to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. Hope you're having a great week. We have an excellent show in store for you. We have one of my new favorite writers. She's been writing for a while, but I just found out about her, and I am besotted. Pam Houston, who has a great new book called Deep Creek. Also, Naomi Ekparagin will swing by. She is a hilarious comedian. She hosts a podcast about relationships with her actual fiancé. And then a person who will make you feel like whatever you've done with your life, it was definitely not enough. The very young but very accomplished Nadia Okamoto will swing by. Plus, we have beautiful music from Shook Twins. The theme that we picked for the show this week is balancing acts. All of our guests are balancing a few different things. You're going to hear more about that coming up. We asked the crowd, though, at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, what are the two things that you struggle to balance? And so when we kicked things off at the Alberta Rose, I decided to share with our announcer, Elena Passarello, a couple of things that I've been struggling with lately. Here's what I'm having a hard time balancing. I think for me, uh, maybe that one of the things I have the hardest time squaring is my love for NFL football with my love for not seeing people get brain damage on national television.
1: Yes. Yeah. Those two things are in opposition, I yes, would say.
0: And I hold them both, <laughs> sometimes unsuccessfully, like- I have my whole life been a football fan I, in, you know, during the fall and winter. I plan my week around it, and yet I can make no cogent argument for the existence of tackle football
2: mm-hmm. as a
0: thing. It's like, you know what we should have is people the size of dinosaurs <laughs> run at each other as hard as they can. Like, right. if somebody invented that last week, I would go, like, is that legal?
1: You'd be like, no, that's a bad idea. Yeah. Let's just knit. But it's so
0: woven into me.
1: <laughs> let's just knit. <laughs> yeah. You're trying to curry favor with this public
0: radio audience. Yeah. I'm talking about tackle
1: football. You're talking about knitting. But you're right. Like, NFL football has become like a, it's like the fireside chat. Like, it's what Sunday sounds like. It's what it is, aside from the reality. And it's also what Monday night sounds like oh, and right. Thursday night. Right.
3: And Some then
0: again, Sunday night, weirdly. <laughs> like, they've, it's, it's on all the time. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, again, I, if, if somebody told me about this thing, like if it was Quidditch,
1: but people were getting really hurt. I'd be like, why? No, that's a terrible idea. Why do you think that uh, it wasn't a terrible idea to you growing up?
0: Well, I was young and didn't know any better. But I think, broadly speaking, there were tons of things that were terrible that our society was okay with uh, <laughs> up until recently. And some of them persist. I think football is just one of them. Like, I, I think it's always been a bad idea. But we're just now coming around to what a bad right. idea it is. What about you? What, do you what, are the, what are two things that you have a hard time kind of squaring up.
1: For me, I guess it's a little more kind of personal. I have a hard time balancing my distrust and disinterest in any kind of uh, marital commitment or childbearing or anything like that Yeah. and my deep seated interest in receiving presents. (laughs) 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 This is apparently something the audience can relate to. Yeah, when you're a grown-up, there's no more designated present days. I'm not married. I have no kids. And so no one will ever buy me anything ever. Whereas all of my friends that are reproducing and coupling and stuff, I get to fly across the world and buy them a bread maker. I don't have a bread maker. Right. I got to buy my own bread maker just because I didn't force somebody to go to Palm Springs and buy an organza slip dress, you know, to stand up there with me. You know, uh, do we have any audience examples? Oh yeah, uh, that we that we should read here. Here's one uh, that hits close to home for me. This is from Catherine. The two things that Catherine struggles to balance are the desire for an immaculate home and the utter lack of will to clean it.
0: I, I actually, that would have been my second place answer, which was my love of not being covered in dog and cat hair with my love for our dog and our cat. <laughs> Uh, what else we got?
1: Uh, here's one from Phyllis. Uh, Phyllis's two things that Phyllis struggles to balance are my passion for a correctly loaded dishwasher and my marriage. <laughs> yes.
0: Being part of a family unit is just. Staring to the dishwasher going, who loaded
3: this?
0: (laughs) (laughs) They say love makes a family. I think dishwasher confusion is right there in second place. It breaks a family. (laughs) It can. All right, we have a guest waiting just off stage who's been balancing two things, a thriving literary career and a 120-plus acre homestead in the middle of freaking nowhere Colorado for the last 25 years. Her latest book is Deep Creek, Finding Hope in the High Country. Please welcome Pam Houston to LiveWire. Pam, welcome to LiveWire.
4: Thank you so much.
0: Uh, you are in the midst of a book tour. Yes. Which, as you talk about in your book, Deep Creek, is, is one of the things that will take you away from this like incredible sounding, but also sounds like it's an incredible amount of work property in Colorado. How old were you when you bought this ranch? And and why did you think it was a good idea?
4: (laughs) Um, Well, I bought it when I was 31. I had just sold my first book, Cowboys Are My Weakness. And I was living in my car and I had a check uncashed for $21,000, which is how much I was paid for my book. So I drove around the West reading at tiny independent bookstores all over the Rocky Mountains, looking for a place to call home. And then I wound up in Creed, Colorado, my little town. And when the guy took me out to see this place, which is 120 acres, high mountain meadow, beautiful 100-year-old barn, surrounded on three sides by 12,000-foot peaks, the Rio Grande running across the front, he said, Donna Blair, who was the widow who was selling the ranch, Donna Blair is gonna like the idea of you. So why don't you give me your $21,000, which was uncashed.
0: You handed your $21,000 check to basically a stranger.
4: And a signed hardcover copy of Cowboys Are My Weakness.
0: Never never True. could you have more clearly indicated that, in fact, cowboys are your weakness.
4: <laughs> well, he was a cowboy. Yeah, he, here's he had my $21,000. He had a rodeo bolt, belt buckle. He did indeed. Oh, my God. He did. So I gave him my check. I gave him... A signed hardcover of Cowboys, and Donna Blair sold me that ranch the next day, Um, and I bought it because how could I say no in the face of that?
0: Yeah. You felt like the universe was telling you this was the place for you. Mm -hmm. Um, The theme uh, on the show this week is balancing act, and I feel like it really applies to you because uh, it's so clear in the book how much you love this ranch. This ranch, in a way, it seems like it... I don't want to overstate it and say it saved your life, but it is vital to your sense of who you are.
4: Absolutely. But
0: yet you have to be constantly teaching writing seminars and working to pay for the ranch.
4: Yes. Um, Like to this day. I am balancing my love of the ranch with my love of a hamachi hand roll, which they don't have in Creed. (laughs) So don't feel too sorry for me. (laughs) But what's true is that I had to work very, very hard. And I had to say yes to every writing job and every teaching job and every speaking job. But I learned how to hustle. You know, I learned how to work hard. And that's a good thing to know how to do.
0: Yeah. We're talking to Pam Houston. The latest book is Deep Creek. This is Live Wire Radio from PRI. Um, what is the hardest or one of the most challenging things about living uh, middle of nowhere at 9,000 feet? And then what's like the hardest thing about being away from that place?
4: Well, it's the same thing. Um, I have animals. I have horses and donkeys and chickens and um, Icelandic sheep and Irish wolfhounds and a cat. And those animals get sick and and die sometimes. But when I'm away and that happens, it's even worse.
0: I wondered about that because I have developed this thing that I'm calling intrusive animal empathy. I don't think that's like a real term.
4: It gets worse as you get older.
0: Really? Most of my social media feed is just animals being reunited with people from like <laughs> long ago. And like, I'd cry cause it's like a kangaroos hugging a guy. <laughs> like, and to hear about an animal suffering at all, even in this book, I mean, you write beautifully, but really honestly about, about your animals and, and about random animals that wander through your property. and. I feel like, I think you have a lot of that too, and yet you've chosen to live somewhere and live a lifestyle where you're constantly confronting animals being sick and getting old and dying.
4: Well, in a certain way, that's what the book's about, like that very thing, not about dying animals, but about, um, about my great love of the natural world and the wilderness, speaking of balancing things, and my great sadness about the climate catastrophe we're in the middle of. And, you know, you can take that down to the level of animal. You can take that down to any level. But were I to not live and die with these animals? I mean, these animals have taught me how to die and they've taught me how to be with the dying, which is a huge set of life lessons.
0: Yeah. This is Live Wire Radio from PRI. We're talking to Pam Houston. Her latest book is Deep Creek. And we will be right back. Livewire is supported, in part, by Fully. Listen, you know in your heart of hearts that sitting around at work all day, that ain't great for you. But guess what? It's not just your heart of hearts. There's actually a lot of science backing that up, which is why Livewire partners with Fully, the company that believes people weren't meant to be glued to a chair all day. Fully has curated the best collection, and I've been there, by the way. I've met them, I've seen the stuff, and I can testify They've got the best collection of standing desks, active sitting chairs, and other workspace tools that encourage us to move. Uh, I've got the TikTok stool. In fact, I'm sitting on it right now. I don't know if you can hear me rocking back and forth on it. But uh, the folks at fully sent me this thing, and it is just a dream. Uh, it's comfortable to sit on, but it keeps me engaged in the work that I'm doing, keeps the blood flowing, and, uh, and it's really improved my life as I uh, work to host your favorite public radio show and podcast, known as LiveWire, in case you needed a reminder. Anyway, if you would like to be better at what you're doing and stay more engaged, check out Fully. Get your body moving in your workspace by going to fully.com slash livewire. That's F-U-L-L-Y dot com slash livewire. Fully. Desks, chairs, and things to keep you moving. Welcome back to Live Wire from PRI. I'm Luke Burbank with Elena Passarello and Pam Houston, whose latest book is Deep Creek. We're at the Alberta Rose Theater here in Portland, Oregon. Um, Based on on your writing, Pam, and I would just say your general vibe, I would never in a million years guess that you grew up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. As I understand, the only child of, of some parents who were pretty damaged people in a lot of ways as you write in the book. I mean, has your adult life been trying to achieve this sort of opposite experience of being a kid living in that part of the country with those parents?
4: Yeah. Um, My father's kind of mantra, though he wouldn't have called it that, um, was one of these days you're going to wake up and realize you spend your whole life in the gutter with somebody else's foot on your neck. He said that often. And um, and my... So kind of an upbeat guy? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, really positive... Guy and uh, you know my literally my whole life has been trying to prove that untrue yeah, I mean I, I I sort of wish that he didn't have that much influence on me, and now my life has taken on a kind of interior motor of its own toward the good things, but that was what was that was the big push, the big motivation
0: you write in this book about some really horrific things that you suffered at the hands of your parents and in particular your father was that a I mean, was that something that you had written about before? Was that hard to write about? I mean, it's very personal stuff.
4: You know, um, when I turned in the first version of the book to my agent, it was really ranch-centric. It was hay and sheep and lambs and chopping wood. And it was my agent who said, isn't this the book where you really talk about what happened to you as a child? Which made sense because, you know, the ranch is healing from something, right? Right. But when she said that, I said, God, have I done anything but, because I thought that was in all my books. Mm. but in a way only I knew it was in all my books. It was, I mean, and other people who went through that knew it was in my books because we have a code that we speak in, us abuse survivors. And I mean, sometimes we can tell just by the way we chop vegetables or something. You know, I, I can tell, I can tell, I can tell an adult child of alcoholics like from behind, honestly, I can't.
0: What do they do? It's
4: just a kind of determination. It's a kind of will. They chop vegetables with will. (laughs) (laughs) And I do everything with will. I am way over willed. (laughs) You know, I had written this whole book in a really plain-spoken way. And for me, this book was kind of me unadorned. It was me not trying to impress anybody. And um, writing about the abuse in that way, in that plain-spoken language, was definitely not something I had done before. But it was absolutely right for this book.
0: Uh, We're talking to Pam Houston. Her uh, latest book is Deep Creek. Um, You grew up with a lot of sadness around you, and it would seem that you really kind of turned to nature and this ranch, really, to heal that. Did it work? Are you happy?
4: I don't know that we're meant to be happy. I mean, I don't. I mean, I I think happy is one of the things we're meant to be, and we're meant to be sad, and we're meant to be crushed, and we're meant to be ecstatic. Um, I... I think, I think we're meant to feel okay about ourselves, which is different than happy. And I'm working on that hard, and I'm, I feel way more okay about myself than I did a decade ago and a decade before that, so that's a long process. Um, I love my life, which is different than being happy. I love teaching. I love making a space for young writers. I love writing, not while I'm doing it, but after <laughs> I have done it. Um, I love the travel I get to do. Um, and, you know, I was born to two parents who didn't want me at all. But that's not the worst thing that can happen to everybody. And, you know, I, I'm a writing teacher, and I see trauma that so outshines my trauma in, in the trauma department. It's unbelievable. So, you know, um, you know, my parents didn't want to be parents, They sent me out to find parenting elsewhere. I found it. I found it in the natural world, and I found it in a few wonderful people that I also write about in the book. And there are are sadder stories than that, you know?
0: Well, it's made for a really fascinating read. The book is Deep Creek. This is Pam Houston on LiveWare, everybody. All right, Pam, we try to really get to know our guests in a very personal, real way on this show. I feel like we've gotten to do that so far, but I think we can take it to even a new level with you. So what I have here uh, at my desk is a jar. It has the five essential questions of our time in it. We call this the jar of truth. Now, here's the thing, though, because this book is about ranch life uh, for you, uh, we decided to make these questions basically about farming and ranching and agriculture. These are a lot of animal-related questions, and we thought you would be the exact right person to answer these. So, Pam, here's what we're going to do. Have you pull a question out of the jar of truth. Hand it over to our announcer, Elena Passarello. She'll read the question, then we need your honest answer.
1: Okay, Pam. Uh, similar to humans, are some animals just jerks? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any on your ranch, or have you had any among the donkeys? I have. Um, I have had some jerks, and um, they are rams. They are Icelandic rams, and just in case you don't know, rams are correctly named because they ram, and, and, and I had a ram who was born to his mother. I was on a hike. I got home, ran into the pen because we had a new baby. And this little ram, you know, he weighed about two pounds. He could barely walk. And he walked right over to me, and he stood right in front of my shin, and he went, (laughs) boom. And that was the start of a long and unhappy life (laughs) with that ram. What did you name him? Uh, We named him Clarky. And he, you know, he grew up to terrorize the ewes. He grew up to run them off the water trough. He grew up to to break one whole side off of my 100-year-old barn. He was a a menace. And you can't send Clarky like,
1: off to reform school or something? Well,
4: I tried to sell him on Craigslist. (laughs) (laughs) For instance, that's something legally you can't
0: do with a human child. (laughs)
4: That's right. See? That's right.
0: Well, Pam Houston, thank you for taming the jar of truth. Thank you for writing this great book. And thanks for being on LiveWire. Don't go anywhere, because coming up next, we have the hilarious comedian, Naomi Ekperrigan, who has decided that having her own biological children is not something that she's interested in.
2: It's not that I don't like kids, but the idea of, like, making a baby from my womb, that feels so extra, don't you think?
0: That is coming up in a moment here on LiveWire from PRI. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Now, people may think Alaska Airlines only flies from cold to colder, but with 1,200 daily flights and 118 destinations, Alaska Airlines is a gateway from the West Coast to the world. Learn more at AlaskaAirlines.com. This is Livewire Radio from PRI. My name is Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello and a fine crowd at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. (laughs) We are talking this week about balancing acts, and we asked the audience here uh, to tell us about two things that they struggle to balance. And uh, they've passed those uh, little cards forward. Elena's got them. Uh, What are you seeing?
1: Here's one from Aaron. The two things Aaron struggles to balance are my love of reading and my need for sleep. Books tend to go two pages at a time. I totally have that issue as well. I don't even do the book in the bed thing. It's just like words with friends until I pass out. You yeah. know, that kind of thing. But, but when I did, I remember like sometimes a book would take like months because you'd read two pages and then you just sort of, and then your, your body gets trained so that when it sees the printed word, it's like, good night, everybody. Yeah. So Aaron, I feel you, man. I feel you. Uh, What else we got? Here's one from Francis. The two things Francis struggles to balance being American and being American. Oh,
0: wow. (laughs) Um, Okay, one more.
1: This one is from Roger D. Tai Chi and Chai Tea. Oh,
0: see, now that's good. This is Live Wire Radio from PRI. I'm Luke Burbank. That's Elena Passarello. Of course, here on the show, we bring in lots of guests from out of town. But Portland, Oregon, our show's hometown is also full of incredibly interesting people doing incredibly interesting things. And we like to meet them when we can. So please welcome this week's fascinating friend, Nadja Okamoto. Nadia, welcome to the show.
3: Hello, thank you for having me.
0: Okay, at a, at a pretty young age, you founded an organization called Period. Explain to me what, what the organization is all about and why you started it.
3: So I founded Period, the menstrual movement. Uh, We're a global youth-run NGO that fights to end period poverty and period stigma through service, education, and advocacy. So what that looks like is we're distributing period products all around the world, primarily in the US, to people in need, so mostly homeless and low-income menstruators. We're trying to change the way people think, talk, and learn about periods through education and digital content. And we're now working in policy from the local to the federal level, advocating for political change and mobilizing students to create political change Um, all about getting more equitable access to menstrual hygiene.
0: Okay. How old were you when you started to think about this period movement is going to be a big part of my
1: life?
3: I mean, so when I got my period, I, I never thought about anyone else's periods, and I never thought about, like, periods in the context of society, because, I mean, periods and menstruation are so stigmatized in society, so we're, first of all, never told or made comfortable to talk about it openly, right? So it's this experience that you have, you keep quiet to yourself, you don't even really talk to anyone else about it. So I didn't really think about menstruation as something larger than myself until I was about 16 years old. And when I was 16, my family experienced housing instability and living without a home of our own. And during that time where I would change buses um, in Old Town Portland, I would regularly see these homeless women to and from school. And it was through getting into conversations with them and asking them this question of, what do you find most challenging about your living situation? And through asking that question, collected this accidental anthology of their stories of using toilet paper, socks, brown paper grocery bags, cardboard, cotton balls to take care of their period, right? And I think it wasn't until hearing about that and having this privilege check of, even when my, in this time when my family was legally homeless, like, I've never had to use trash to take care of my periods, Right? And I think that sort of sparked this obsession with menstruation um, that I had and um, spurred me to just start Googling and um, through Google searches learned that, you know, periods are the number one reason why girls miss school in developing countries, the leading cause of absenteeism for girls here in the U.S., almost more than the common cold. Um, and that, you know, girl's first period in many countries is the first event that leads to them dropping out of school, getting married early, undergoing female gender mutilation or social isolation. But also starting to see how the problem existed in the U.S., but was not being talked about actually even more than in developing countries, right? So at the time in 2014, now the number's 34, but then 40 states in the U.S. had a sales tax on period products because they're considered luxury items, right? Meanwhile, products like Rogaine and Viagra were considered essential goods. I remember just reading that and rereading it over and over and over again and being like, are you kidding me? Like, (laughs) like old man hair growth and erections are considered more of a necessity than over half of our population feeling clean, confident, capable 100% of the time.
0: Yeah. This is, this is Live Wire Radio from PRI. We're talking to Nadia Okamoto, our fascinating friend this week. Um, so your, your group that you started, um, what are you guys doing on a practical level to try to change this?
3: So as I said, we're distributing period products to people in need. Um, to date, we've addressed over 503,000 periods through product distribution. Um, on, terms of, on terms of legislation, our network has passed about seven pieces of legislation at the local level um, about getting period products into school restrooms. Um, yeah. So like. For me, in terms of our approach, I really feel like policy is the long-term change, right? Because the best way to make sustainable change is to change the system itself, right? So for us, we're focusing on policy change, but distributing period products real time is sort of our our sort of immediate short-term relief. Um, to do all of the work we do, we mobilize young people. So uh, worldwide, mostly based in the US, we now have over registered over 375 campus chapters at universities and high schools around the US. And um, with that network, we're officially the largest largest youth run NGO in women's health in the world, which is wow. exciting.
0: You, um, uh, you, you, you grew up here in Portland mostly, but then you went to Harvard. Yes. Which will come as not a surprise to anyone who's been listening to you <laughs> for the last five minutes. Yes. And did you run for city council? Yes.
3: Yeah, so I... At age what? 19. Sure,
0: you waited all the way till 19? Yeah,
3: so so I get to Harvard, and I would run around, you know, go on my morning runs, and I just started to realize, like, the gentrification in the city. Like, I could see all the rich white Harvard professors on one side and all the public housing on this side of the street, right? So I started um, becoming a little bit obsessed with housing affordability then. And um, I... Yeah, I, I decided to run for office, and you know it was it was one of the most challenging like years of balance for me because I you know as a freshman at Harvard was so excited about the opportunities joined like 16 clubs was on like the hip hop team and like was running my nonprofit that was still growing that we like just hired full time staff and like I was not sleeping very much and then I decided to run for office. And. I sort of accidentally became the youngest Asian American to run for office in America, and so...
0: Like one does.
3: Yeah, so running for office was definitely, it was a big part of my freshman year, yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, Nadia, I feel like we could talk to you for hours, you have lived many lifetimes, and you're still relatively a few years. But uh, for people listening, uh, how can they help support what you're doing right now?
3: So you can just go to period.org to find out more information about the organization. Um, We're always posting different events that we're having. You can host a packing party. If you're a student, you can start a chapter. um, Or you can find us on social media at Period Movement, and I'm just at Nadia Okamoto.
0: Future president and hip-hop enthusiast (laughs) Nadia Welcome, everyone. Our fascinating friend. Hey there, Livewire listeners. We are thinking if you like our show, you are going to really dig this new original podcast series called Blockbuster. Check it out. It's set in 1970s Hollywood, and it follows the friendship and sometimes rivalry of George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. This is in the years leading up to Jaws and Star Wars, two films you may have heard of. It's like a movie for your ears. Take a listen to this from Blockbuster. Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. What about strange lands and escape from the everyday? It's
2: brilliant, George. Before anyone knew them by name. Who's a good boy, Indiana. Four hundred
0: grand. Let me explain. George, that's our money. Blockbuster. Everybody, take cover. Following the spectacular failures sir, sir, are you all right? and the unexpected triumphs. Can you
2: believe it? I told you, George. I told you.
0: A six-part immersive audio series. Blockbuster. This is a true story. It is meticulously researched and you can get it wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's like a movie for your ears. It's blockbuster. Go get it wherever you get your podcasts. This is Livewire Radio. Our comedian this hour has actually been balancing her work as an actor, comedian, and writer for a while. She's written for Broad City, performed on Late Night with Seth Meyers, and even has her own Comedy Central half-hour special, and she co-hosts the popular podcast Couples Therapy with her actual husband, and it is great. I can't recommend it highly enough. Please welcome Naomi Ekparagin to (laughs) Livewire.
2: Yo, Portland! Yeah, I, I'm. I'm very. I. I look. You know, we're in some trying times. Y'all listen to public radio. Y'all woke-ish, at least. But I feel like it's like when I go to to new, mostly white places, I'm on edge a little, just a little. You know, because it feels like yes, okay, lacrosse sticks are triggering to me. That's my own issue. That's my own issue. But it's also, you know, the racists are out, okay? They have come out of their hidey holes like bigoted meerkats. And you have to look alive. And I feel like Portland, like there is something about like the hipster dude that I am like, I get on edge. I get a little judgment. Think about it like a certain hipster dude, right? The guy who's got like the sleeve tattoos, the trucker cap, the thick beard to hide his identity, I was walking these streets of Portland, one of them passed me by. I was like, okay, are you a white supremacist or do you brine your own pickles? (laughs) Which one? Which one is it? And you're not gonna know till it's too late. That's the danger of it all. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to adjust. Because the times have changed. I have myself a Jew boo that is a Jewish boo. And thank you, the love is real. But because I'm black and he's white, everyone's very like into us having kids. They're very excited for this concept. They're like, oh my God, your babies are going to be so cute. You have to have babies, they're going to be so cute. And it's like, it's just going to be beige, Okay. <laughs> Why, why is everybody freaking out over something that's gonna be taupe? I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't wanna have babies. I don't understand, like, it's not that I don't like kids, but the idea of like making a baby from my womb, that feels so extra, don't you think? It feels so, it's like, what am I trying to prove? You know, why do I have to make it? I don't think I have that great DNA. Like is anybody sitting here like, oh, we got we got to really we got to get this DNA out there. There's a Nobel laureate in this uterus. No, not gonna happen. You guys, I have clinical depression. I am half blind. I have had braces twice. The bloodline ends here. You know what? Draw a line. Know yourself. You. Thank you. Thank you. It's so good to, to be out of the house, to be in a new place, because normally I'm sitting in the house watching true crime shows. So this is a change. It's good for me. You guys, you, do you read books? Is that what you're into? <laughs> Learning stuff about stuff? I just watch murder shows and I have to stop. There's so many, okay? I'm talking, I'm watching Snapped. I'm watching Fatal Vows. I'm watching Wives with Knives. It's real. I'm watching something I just found called Swamp Murders. Which is exactly what you think it is. You find a body in a swamp, you work your way back. And it is a full hour, okay? Full hour, I'm on the edge of my seat. And I, don't, and I don't know why I keep watching these shows because they're, like, making me so stressed out. It makes everyone a suspect. I can't relax. I was at home one time, and I was sitting at home on the couch, and I was in the middle of a run of forensic files. And a run is when I'm watching anywhere from 3 to 12 episodes in one sitting, all right? So I'm in for the night. And then I get a knock on my door in the middle of this. Y'all. You can't knock on my door during forensic files. (laughs) I am on edge. I am a jungle cat in that moment. And I, like, go to the door, and I just open it a crack. I give him half a spectacle, all right? Because if you open it any wider, he gets a foothold. That's a home invasion, all right? So you want to give it a crack. And I'm like, who is it? And he's like, hey, it's your neighbor. I'm like, which unit, you have to ask, okay? Because they'll find a way to trick you. And then... He's like, I live upstairs. And he goes, um, sorry to bother you, but I'm putting in blinds and I was wondering if I could borrow a drill. (laughs) Borrow a drill? (laughs) Okay, okay, I seen this episode, all right? (laughs) I'm not giving you a drill. It's gonna have my fingerprints on it, your fingerprints on it. They ain't cracking that case. I was shaken. I can't be neighborly. And then Jubu and I got into a little fake argument about, about it, because I was like, don't you give him no drip? And he's like, we have to be neighborly. And it and you know, eventually he won out because he is a soul. So we helped. But I was very, I was very against it. I was so not having it. I think I love what I love most about my relationship now is that we can argue. Don't you? Like, I feel like once you can like argue and be real, you're like, oh, this is it. I can relax now. I can tell you about yourself. You know, that's all I ever wanted. Because the thing is like, when we first moved in together, I was just so afraid. If we're living together, how will I suck in my stomach forever? You know what I mean? How are you supposed to live? It's too much. And so then, like the first, the first six months we lived together, I was just like a pregnant actress in a sitcom. You know what I mean? Like standing behind couches to deliver my monologues. <laughs> holding large empty boxes for no reason. Thank you guys so much, that's my time. Naomi Eck-Perrigan right
0: here on LiveWire. Naomi, that was so funny.
2: Thank you so much. Did you laugh, Luke? I was scared to check in with you.
0: I I laughed. I have to say the forensic file stuff really hits home for me because I am a power user of forensic files to the point where the producers of the show have asked me before, can you stop talking about forensic files? (laughs) Let's talk about your podcast, which I am loving. It's Ah. called Couples Therapy. It's Mm -hmm. you and your actual husband.
2: Well, okay, Uh, technically, have been engaged six years. Is that...
0: (laughs) I spent like half of today trying to suss out what the exact status of your relationship is.
2: Yes, six-year engagement. Going strong. Okay. Yep,
0: yep. You co-host this show, and what's so genius about it is... Uh, You guys talk a little bit about your life and your relationship, and then also part of it is from a live show that you do in Los Angeles where you have people do comedy, kind of two people who've been in a relationship or are in a relationship or are exes. Yeah do comedy together. Yeah. The stakes are
2: high. <laughs> okay, I will say we actually had one duo, uh, two comics who were a couple. They got engaged shortly after doing our show. Was Ooh. it us? Can we take that credit? <laughs> I will. I think you should. Um thank you. Um but no, definitely. It's always it's really fun because it's obviously we know a lot of comedians. He and I met in the comedy world and so we knew how many people were couples or friends and you know, siblings or just people who are always together. And they get to do stuff they don't normally do, right? It's totally different from the regular set. They get to be together and tell crazy stories (laughs) or make us all wonder where it all went wrong.
0: One of the things I really love, we're talking to Naomi Ekper again. One of the things I love about the podcast is I love hearing you and your partner talk. Your, your interactions are really fun. Um, And you must get asked about this a lot, like, what, day to day, what's the experience of being partnered with somebody who is also a comedian? Like, are you, have you heard his five jokes at this point? (laughs) And are you tired of them? Like, is it actually a more fun thing than being with, like, a civilian
2: Oh, I doubt it, because what I learned being in this relationship, which is the longest relationship I've been in, I didn't realize how much most relationships are just, like, planning to watch TV together. You know what I mean? Like, being in a couple is literally like, did you watch it? Don't watch it without me. So that's most of what we're doing. You know, just, like, watching a show. Trying not to scroll on your phone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, do you find? I mean, are do you guys are you guys joking around pretty constantly? Like, is that are you as you're making the plans to watch TV? No. Is it like are you being funnier versions of yourself on the podcast?
2: I think so. We're being fu- funnier versions, or maybe um more energetic versions, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And we're not going to bicker. I don't think anyone wants to listen to two randos bicker. So we try to keep it light. And then the Michael go off, and I'm like, Why did you say that, true? Like, really? I'm like, you gotta go off mic. You have to respect each other on mic.
0: Yeah, it's working. You guys sound like very affectionate towards each other.
2: Oh, thank you. No, we do love each other. It's not a total lie. <laughs> <laughs> Our love is real. The love is real. No, but I mean, come on, two comedians. It's a sad, delicate house with emotional eating. <laughs> That's all we're doing. That's all we're doing.
0: Naomi Eckparagon, everyone, right here on Livewire. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Hey, we want to say a special thanks this episode to Janice McDonald of Portland, Oregon, and Brett and Stacy Sherman, also of Portland, Oregon. Janice, Brett, and Stacy are part of the Livewire community, and what are they doing? They're generously supporting our show with a donation each month. And we are very thankful for that support because that's how we're able to keep doing this little Livewire radio project. So thank you ever so much, Janice, and Brett, and Stacy, We could not do this without you. All right, welcome back to Live Wire from PRI. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. Elena Passarello is right over there. We are at the Alberta Rose Theater here in Portland, Oregon, with comedian Naomi Ekperrigan. Now... Uh, Naomi, you're obviously very smart. You obviously give great relationship advice.
2: Thank you so much.
0: We wanted, though, to really test those skills here in a little segment that we call Let's Get Quizzical.
5: Let's get quizzical,
2: quizzical. I want to get quizzical. Let's see if you know your stuff. Woo, that was buttery.
0: Right? (laughs) Live Wire House Band. All right, you uh, co-host a podcast called Couples Therapy, which got us kind of thinking. A lot of the relationships in books and movies that we love, the people in those books and movies could have really used some therapy.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So this is how we're going to get quizzical. We're going to tell you about a couple from a book or a movie, what their particular drama was. You have to try to guess if they ended up staying together or if they broke up. Okay. In this classic book, a young woman works for a guy teaching his kids. She discovered he'd previously been married and his wife is still pretty close to him. She flees then returns only to find the guy's first wife has burned his house down. Mm. Do you think this couple had a breakup or did they in fact make up?
2: Okay, what? Is this a real housewife book? This sounds dynamic. Now, (laughs) she comes back. Yes. House burned down. Yeah. Yeah, she stayed with him.
0: (laughs) You are are 100% right.
2: Don't you just feel, yeah.
0: They did make up, this is the plot to the book Jane Eyre.
2: Oh, oh, them them girls back then. Yeah, right? You know what I mean? Just waiting for your second cousin to love you. (laughs) Those were your options back then. It was your second cousin. All
0: right, in this epic and sprawling story, a guy drags his love all over a vast landscape, even though she is literally making him crazy ultimately lets her fall into a fiery mountain during a fight. Do you think this couple got over that and made up, or did the fire basically seal the breakup? Yeah, they broke up. You're exactly right, Naomi. Good job. That is the plot to Lord of the Rings. (laughs) That's basically Frodo and the ring. Oh, I see what
2: you did there. And being
0: thrown... I didn't do it. I don't write any of this. Are you kidding me? Okay. In this film, a guy who works for a big corporation, tries to put a woman's local store completely out of business. But it turns out there's an attraction online, even though in real life they're actively trying to destroy each other's livelihoods. Did these people end up making up or breaking up?
2: You know what? They ended up making up because they're both sick and suffering.
0: You are absolutely right, Naomi. That is the plot to You've Got Mail.
1: So messed up. Do you think they stay together after the movie? After the, you know, they get together, they <laughs> kiss on the bridge. Do you think, as, your, as a relationship expert, that their relationship
2: went the distance? I think so, but it means somebody's not healthy in that relationship. Mm-hmm. It went the distance, but that's because somebody said, I don't need a dream. That ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah, you think? Right.
0: Uh, as, a, as a noted relationship expert <laughs> and a relationship haver yourself, yeah. what is your opinion on rom-coms?
2: Okay, when I was young, I loved them. You know what I mean? Before I actually had a relationship with a person, I was like, this seems great. If I take my glasses off, it'll all happen for me. You know?
0: Take that pencil out of your hair. <laughs> exactly. Take the glasses off.
2: A slow shake and love is possible. But then once you become an adult and realize how complicated it all is, you're like, "This. these movies are dangerous. Yeah. Well, great job on the quiz. Thank you so much. Perfect score. Naomi Ekperigan, everybody, right here on Livewire.
0: This is Livewire Radio. Our musical guests this hour are in perfect balance, or at least they probably should be, because it turns out they are identical twins. Their latest album is Some Good Lives. Please welcome Shook Twins to Livewire. Hi there. Hi. Um, I was struggling with whether or not to ask you about being twins because I feel like it's in the name of the band. But, I mean, has it been generally a positive thing? Because it must come up. Multiple times every day, at least if you guys are together. People must want to talk about it a lot.
5: Yeah, it's, it's very positive. But it's not as much as you think. We, yeah. yeah. A, lot of, a lot of people a- t- s- skirt around it like it's, it's a sensitive subject that last
0: ask first, are you related? Yeah. It's- Let <laughs> me say for the radio audience, these two are identical twins. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys ever do any, you know, parent trap style shenanigans? Oh, yeah, you got it. Yeah. What's the point of being twins if you can't <laughs> <Yeah>. shenanigan? <laughs>
5: Yeah, we switched classes in uh, middle school and high school on April Fool's Day. I got a C on a paper, on a test for Lori, and she she broke a bookshelf. Oh, you didn't do that? I thought you you broke the bookshelf.
0: (laughs) You actually took a test?
5: Yeah, it was a pop quiz. Yeah,
0: what what are you going to do? Didn't see it coming. (laughs) (sighs) That is real commitment to the bit. Yeah, yeah.
5: yeah. We we committed.
0: Um, What song are we going to hear?
5: This is a uh, song called Safe. And it's on our new record, "Some Good Lives," and it's—it's uh, it's, we call it our sexy breakup song.
0: <laughs> All right, this is Shook Twins on Livewire.
5: want, all I want, all I want, all I want is for you to stay right here with me in this place. Looks like the dream <laughs> How come you keep thinking you can fool me with they're holographic pretty things And you your finger when you ask me I'm addicted to your yes or no And I can't let peace go All I want, all I want, all I want Is a love that feels safe not gonna move from me or change shape. There's nothing moving, tell me how it's different than it was then, you were sure then, now we're moving backwards, all of this is broken, cause of nothing, we were strong and now you're
0: right here on LiveWire. All right, that's going to do it for our show this week. A very big thanks to our guests, Pam Houston, Nadia Okamoto, Naomi Ekparagin, and Shook Twins. LiveWire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, Foley, and the Jupiter Hotel. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Lauren Masterson is our development and marketing director. Tim Harkins is our production director. And Christian Seger is our marketing associate. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer. Our house band is Ezra Rose, A. Walker Spring, and Ethan Fox Tucker. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Our house sound is by D. Neil Blake and our on-air mix is by Corey Shreppel. Thank you so much, as always, to Carlson Audio. Additional funding provided by the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. LiveWire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. Our show is made possible by the generous support of our members. This week, we would like to thank member Corey Zanin of Minneapolis, Minnesota, for his support. For more information about our show or how you can get our podcast or even our newsletter, Head on over to LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. For Elena Passarello and the entire LiveWire crew, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.
2: PRI Public Radio
5: International.